In today's episode of Everyday People, we talk to Dr. Anusha N. Shastri, an Ayurvedic doctor in Munich, Germany. We also answer one question in the mailbag and I write a letter to myself. All this and more in today's episode of Everyday People. Hello and welcome to Everyday People. Thank you so much for listening. This is not probably going out at 10am but that's okay. I'm just trying to get the episodes out hoping that somebody is enjoying them and a few of you are so thank you for letting me know. Today we're talking to Dr. Anusha N. Shastri. She's an Ayurvedic doctor from Bangalore currently residing in Munich, Germany. She's also a professional Bharatanatyam dancer with 25 years of experience and a master's degree in it. Her research deals with integrating holistic sciences like Ayurveda, yoga and dance in pain management especially in post surgical recovery we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago and it was fun to talk to her it was a late night conversation and uh, we really got comfortable and we talked about a bunch of things we learned that we almost share birthdays we kind of share birthdays we are the same age and i found her to be a really lively person she has a wonderful laugh and you'll really enjoy this conversation so check it out and i'll see you at the end of it with my guest always my first question is who are you what do you do and what is your current side project namaste well uh, thank you so much for having me here i mean that's it's really nice and uh, it's a nice opportunity so thank you so much first of all well about me my name is anusha so dr anusha and shastri i come from the south indian city bangalore mm-hmm. and uh, currently i'm living in munich germany so basically uh, by profession i'm an ayurvedic doctor studied ah. in bangalore or uh, yeah i studied from the Government Ayurvedic Medical College, Bangalore, and then continued my uh, further studies with the Integrated Sciences of Medicine. And I am a professional classical Bharatanatyam dancer, trained in uh, Bharatanatyam for more than twenty-five years, and uh, I hold a Vidwat degree and master's degree in dance. Uh, currently, uh, I am residing in Munich for the last. Uh, for years and uh, my whole research subject is about how do we integrate holistic sciences like ayurveda yoga dance in pain management so using neuromuscular connectivity pattern in pain management how do we specifically go about relieving the pain isolating all the anatomical and neurological landmarks and using holistic approaches so this is what i've been doing and uh, Yeah I have saw uh, my practice here in Munich and going on. <laughs> That's uh, wonderful. So immediately like what caught my attention is pain management uh, because mm-hmm. I have <laughs> a lot of pain issues that I deal with. Uh, I guess my question to you would be more like why did that uh, specific niche draw your attention? Have you already published a paper on it or you're working your next paper is on pain management or what's the situation there? Tell me more about okay. it. Okay. nice i mean uh, it's interesting uh, just like uh, how gautama buddha had told like get mustard seeds from a house wherein wherein there is no death so pain yeah. is such a concept so absolutely there is no person who doesn't have pain physical mental emotional so in different levels some or the other pains will definitely be there mm-hmm. so uh, why specifically pain management is because yeah uh, let me just put it right there it is because of the personal experiences so uh, i met with an accident and i had some pain so and i was connected with dance and yoga since i was a kid like right. since when i was 6 years old so when such pain such physical pain kept, kept me away from all that i loved so it's like naturally it's not just physical pain anymore it mm-hmm. is also deeper uh, it's some sort of emotional pain and uh, um fortunately during that time i was in my uh, internship and right. uh, in, uh, so the final year of my internship and that's when uh, it's like why not actually look at it from a medical perspective if there is something and ayurveda is such a beautiful science it it just doesn't say okay superficially treat some symptoms and you're healthy but according to ayurveda it is physical mental that is emotional social spiritual so in all these levels one needs to strike a balance right hmm. so this perspective gave me a clarity like how to address different sort of pains hmm. so that's when i started with uh, 
looking at it in different perspectives, not just in the physical area, but also in different, uh, uh, like even in the emotional and mental area. But later on, due course of time, when I was diving deep into this research, it was all about, uh, yeah, it's emotive and kinetic both. So we need to look at it in different perspectives. And uh, regarding papers, um, yes, currently here uh, under uh, the guidance of uh, Dr. Rajesh Ramesh here in Berlin. So uh, I did uh, one of the certification courses and uh, that's a research certification using uh, the deep uh, neuromuscular connectivity pattern in the body. So, and also my uh, uh, master thesis, it is all about uh, how uh, somatoform disorders, the emotional, physical attributes of pain spectrum in different varieties. So how do we address it is uh, what I've been working on. There are a few of uh, my articles regarding that. And yeah, I'm still continuing to work on that. Specifically, I work on uh, post-surgical recovery using oh. basic therapeutic modality. But uh, dance and yoga have always been the elements that I use uh, from the therapeutic, therapeutic perspective. So it's an integrated. So I'm just doing what I love. It's Ayurveda, yoga and dance and putting together into my profession. So I should say I, got, I just got lucky with that. And we'll go into more detail in your prof about your profession uh, from a sort of your personal relationship with work in the next section. Um, you also... I, I had something and I forgot. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this question uh, just because um, I have a disdain for... So with Ayurvedic medicine, immediately like the basic response is, oh, it's alternative medicine. Uh, but I also know that mental health treatment was alternative medicine at one point, which was very important to me. Chiropractic work has, was alternative, is still alternative medicine, which has been helpful to me. Physical therapy has been helpful to me. Um, you as a working professional, um, how do you sort of reconcile um, the history of Ayurveda with modern scientific practices, modern doctoral practices? And uh, I don't want you to think of it as a justification to criticism. I would rather you address it from an excitement perspective, like why it is exciting as a field of research or a field of specialization. Yes. First of all, I wouldn't call it alternative medicine, rather it's an integrated medicine. Mm -hmm. So um, one con a concept that we usually see is um, Ayurveda, not just like, usually the word Ayu and Veda, Ayu is life and Veda is science. So yeah. it's not just medicine, but the science of life. Mm. On the other hand, when we say the primary concept of Ayurveda, the principle of Ayurveda is Vastasya Swastya Rakshanam, Aturasya Vikar Prashanam. So it's not just treating the disease of a diseased person, but also improving the health of a healthy individual. Health so this is like, yes, it's a holistic approach. But uh, sometimes why do we call it alternative is because the frame what we give with medicine. Yeah, this is how immediately when this happens, we treat so and so and so and so and we take some medicine. U using, a, using a capsule. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like that comes down to marketing. Um, yeah like heavy marketing for the allopathic industry but also smear marketing against other forms of treatment and i feel like more and more um especially with athletes now turning to mm -hmm. other things um you know those are who we look towards at least i as a common man look towards yes. an athlete what are they experimenting with Correct. because Correct. they are at the peak of performance and physical health and That's i look true. at an athlete as like so uh, do you have any experience working with athletes or do you have a more general practice? I do have um, experience working with athletes, performers. So since I told you it's all about post-surgical recovery, definitely. Oh, yeah, I have experience with working with athletes and uh, uh, dancing professionals and many other people who are very physically active. And also um, most of my patients, they are like, Currently, what I'm working here in Germany, they are old uh, citizens, like senior citizens, uh, but very young at heart because everything, every single postural corrections and every single therapeutic thing that uh, I just suggest to them, they are very open about it. But uh, 
I would like to come back to the question, like speaking about excitement, in excitement about Ayurveda. Hmm. Ayurveda is definitely a it is a science, a science and yeah. everything that we uh, do in Ayurveda, it has a proper scientific approach. Yeah. Only thing is, since it has this background of 5,000 years, sometimes we fail to understand what exactly Ayurveda is all about. Yeah. And sometimes you always tend to... Yes, and sometimes we, we just tend to say, yeah, okay, Rishi Munis, they have uh, given us the Ayurveda, so it might not be scientific as what the temperament is going on right now. Yeah. But just like you said, I would like to address this in the same th- terms. If an athlete is doing that, it's inspiring. In the present day situation, Kim Kardashian or the other Kardashian sisters, they are uh, following Ayurveda and now it's like, ah, okay. It might be- yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but on the other hand, more than Kardashian sister, uh, sisters, like it's like, there are so many other people endorsing Ayurveda, including the Indian government. So the prime minister, so her gar Ayurveda, her din Ayurveda. So it is like Ayurveda because it is so rational. The scientific perspective of Ayurveda is so rational and it's time tested. If not, a science wouldn't have survived 5,000 years, right? So it's important that we look at it in that perspective. So if I ask you to, um, I know it's difficult to break down a complex subject into like simple one or two lines. So if you had to tell me like three principles of Ayurveda to sort of help me understand that it is, you know, still like it is a very modern science. It is a very viable approach. It is not alternative medicine. And that's mm-hmm. why like, I just want to end this uh, section with mm-hmm. that. Like if you, ha- if you were to tell me three basic principles of Ayurveda, what would they be? Okay. First one, treating the diseases. So it's like Ayurveda looks at the root cause. It's not just a superficial thing, but the root cause. And as an Ayurvedic doctor, if we study in India, it's like we have to study for five and a half years. And it's not just the Ayurvedic herbs, but the understanding of the human body, the anatomy, physiology, and all the other branches of medicine, even a single Ayurvedic person, Ayurvedic graduate will learn that. So that Itself, it's like BAMS, Bachelors of Ayurvedic Medicine and Surgery, a five and a half years course is designed in such a way that every single parameter of medicine is touched there along with the Ayurvedic perspective. So the treating of any disease condition, we have a broader perspective of looking at it from the disease perspective and how can an integrated approach, what are the limitations of the other science and what are the, at what point Ayurveda will be Helpful, that is one thing. And as I told you, Swastasya Swastya Rakshanam, increasing the health of a healthy individual. So here, as a preventive science as well, Mm. Ayurveda can be used. So it's not like we have to wait till we get some disease or there is some problem with the body. But in this preventive perspective, when we are taking care of our health, come on, we we just faced a huge pandemic situation right now. So it's like, this is high time that we take care of our health in a, and promote our health and propagate that in such a way that it's Ayurveda can be used as a preventive health. And we have different modalities of Ayurveda, for example, Panchakarma, which every single step of Panchakarma is totally like scientific. And also, even if we are looking at like two perspectives, two things, and when, when we are looking at the preventive health care system in this perspective, Ayurveda defines something called as the Dinacharya Rutucharya. So seasonal regime, daily mm. regime. Our sleep depends upon how we how the day is. And we can sleep well only when the day is day falls right. Mm. So starting with brush your teeth and wash your face and everything. And nowadays, oil pulling, clean your tongue, and all these things. It's not just the hygienic practices, but every single practice that's mentioned in Dinacharya and Rutucharya and all these things, it has scientific proper scientific background to it and nowadays we are able to even prove evidences yeah. I, I think it's more that there's uh, why i bring up this question is because i know like there's always a hesitance towards preventative medicine yes like people wait till they have a problem and then no oh, yeah please give me a you know please fix <laughs> me so uh, but thank you for talking about that we'll now move on uh, we'll talk about your uh, experience as a doctor and uh, your relationship with work in the second section. So we are back with Dr. Anusha and Shastri. Um, you said you've been in uh, Munich. You told me before we started that you've been there for three and a half years. 
uh, how did your practice take you there? Uh, especially you said you're from Bangalore. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what has um, your relationship with work been in India versus in uh, Germany? Okay. Well, uh, in India, since uh, I studied in India and uh, BAMS as a degree, mm-hmm. uh, it's acknowledged in India, it makes it easier. Be it in research, be it in practice, to have a clinic or work in hospital, it's kind of easier in India. Since it's acknowledged and people more or less know what exactly is Ayurveda and the perspective of Ayurveda as a medical science. Yeah. But in Munich, the story is entirely different. Mm-hmm. Ayurveda is accepted, but not the degree of BAMS or the Bachelor of Ayurvedic Medicine and Surgery. So uh, it's entirely a different scene altogether. So you need to have, uh, first of all, the language. Secondly, some of the other uh, licenses and certifications that you need, or the other uh, integrated uh, degrees that will support practice. End of the day, one cannot work as a doctor with BAMS degree in Germany. But uh, it doesn't stop us from practicing but, uh, because Ayurveda is accepted, as I told you. It comes with some limitations, but still we can practice to an extent. So it just needs some advancement in different uh, degrees and different things. So uh, I wouldn't say it has been easiest or cakewalk, but uh, it's doable. Mm. And um, uh, language. Language is what connects us to the people here. So German is a must. Yeah. And you need medical German as well if you want to take your research ahead. So some certifications and all these things. And uh, with this regard, I would also want to point out one more thing. Since BMS as a degree is not acknowledged and there are some practical problems with that and uh, various things uh, in the society uh, here to practice, we found a need to come together and uh, Ayurvedic doctors living in Germany, we've come together and we've established a society, a professional society of Indian Ayurvedic graduates. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am very happy to say that just two weeks ago on 29th, we even had, uh, we organized a European Ayurveda Congress, which has been a very successful thing. And that's a triumph for us. So uh, the association is called as the Indusha Fachgesellschaft für Ayurveda Deutschland, which means the Professional Society of Indian Ayurveda Graduates. And currently we are 85 doctors, Ayurveda doctors. (laughs) I will ask for the link to your um, society's Instagram or or social website. So I can share it for anybody who wants to check it out. Let me just so make it- I, uh, because um, just the question that you asked me, how was it when I came to Munich and just started with Ayurveda? It was like, at in the beginning, the whole scene was overwhelming. Like, mm-hmm. what to do? Okay, am I not a doctor anymore? All these things were really overwhelming. That's when I've been the founding member and board member of uh, this society. That's in the general format, but also... To start practicing with all the completing all the certifications and other stuff. So I run my own uh, academy here. I used to work with the research institute in last year. But right now, since my research certifications are completed, I run my own academy and the name is Sanatana Academy. So, yes. And how, how long have you been practicing? In Munich. No, no, uh, general, your work experience. In general. Okay. Uh, I graduated in the year uh, 2016. So... Six years. For the last six years. <laughs> uh, did you notice any change? I mean, of course, that's a bad question. Uh, how was your experience during the pandemic? Instead of, did you experience any changes in the pandemic? Uh, how was your question? Uh, how was that whole experience? And uh, now, hopefully, like, coming out of it in a little more relaxed. Uh, where are you now? And as far as, like, mentally with work? Like, again, why I ask about the relationship to work is because that is kind of like a central theme. So... Not just um, you know related to Ayurvedic practices, but also the fact that you are a doctor, you are a medical professional dealing with a lot of you know sick people. Essentially, it's a very demanding task for any prof- any speciality. Um, so, how do you like relate to it? How do you approach your work? What value does it hold in your life? Okay, uh, I would like to uh, answer this question in two perspectives. First perspective, uh, very shortly, I would like to say. In India, many of my uh, colleagues, my classmates, batchmates, seniors, during pandemic, the way they all rose up to the occasion and they uh, worked as one single medical professional scene, that was commendable. And so, got abused for it largely. So, mm-hmm. so uh, despite such 
serious situations at serious scene that happened ups and downs and everything the way everybody came uh, as one and the way they all uh, worked during pandemic it's really commendable and the ayurvedic contribution as well during pandemic may not be in the extreme serious severe uh, scene but later on the way people coped up with um, uh, and openness to all the signs it was it's hugely commendable secondly uh, the other perspective what i would like to speak here is since during pandemic i was in germany already and uh, how was it for me i was working in the research institute and uh, it was the peak of my research time so it came with a lot of hurdles uh, starting from uh, the data collection to go to the like mm-hmm. um, to work with the patients and all these things it came with a lot of tension because first of all it's such a huge emergency like uh, yeah. every day to get yourself irrespective of vaccination and other things to get yourself tested and go to the patients and you never know what exactly is happening and so, i i imagine on a scale that you've never seen exactly and yeah. never before it's not like we were not prepared for this thing right so yeah not at all so it we, like one can never be sure how to react in such a situation so definitely uh, it was challenging but um, the way uh, the reception of uh, people towards different things and uh, uh, end of the day we could handle it and that's what uh, uh, we just came out stronger i had to <laughs> I have to say so from the whole pandemic thing and uh, here during that time some of the good things is um, i could concentrate on the uh like getting into proper research about this so it was no more just a physical pain pattern for me at that time mm-hmm. i had to deal with many of the emotional aspect of the whole thing so the horizon just got expanded during that time so it came with a lot of uh, advantages so although with the bad situation we just have to take all what is good and uh, it was definitely stressful but uh, yeah coming out stronger i mean you took the time to uh you know congratulate and thank all your colleagues i'll take the time to congratulate you thank you for all your work during the pandemic uh you said you wanted to answer the question in two perspectives so you've talked about the pandemic is there something else you wanted to say in that direction i wanted to address in two perspectives as in the whole community how how doctors handled and how it was for me and yeah okay because it was uh, i was in that peak getting my certifications done and the research and everything and Yeah personally it was really challenging and tasking so so now coming back to that uh, question uh, the bigger question that i had asked you which is what's your relationship like with work how how do you think it establishes on a day to day basis now uh, okay yeah good uh yeah like uh, it's nice it's i would say it's as if a baby learns to walk all together from the scratch because it's a new land so yeah. new people new faces in india people already knew that yeah okay she's okay uh the girl from the neighborhood she's doing medical we know her or some friends and relatives so the scene was like yeah i'm a doctor it's sorted so even being a doctor it was sorted and on the other hand even the patient base i kind of knew many people and people started coming already even with the research or with the work or the hospital clinical practice but that's not the same in munich first of all people had to like they should know ayurveda is not just wellness and medicine so propagating ayurveda and teaching ayurveda is on one hand secondly okay people should know and i need to like really when some of them get healed they say yeah okay this is really working from the medical perspective as well yeah. so it's definitely coming up with a lot many challenges but yeah networking but and you know so in general like it's it still feels like new horizons essentially Oh yes, unexplored, uncharted waters. So it's really new, and it's still new. It's going on. Okay, I mean, uh, I think I I got the idea. I mean, it's good, right? You you want to feel new things at work. You want something fresh, something innovative, something challenging. I am I imagine like there's there's a whole love hate relationship with that, right? You want. Oh yes, things. absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't deny that a bit. <laughs> Some days it's like, oh wow, my work is so nice. The other day it's like. what am i doing <laughs> so... today morning i was working on my thing so i'm a professional writer and uh, today i was working on some uh, something fresh and i 
had a breakthrough and I felt good. Yesterday I was working on something that was like really repetitive and boring. And so like, <laughs> why am I doing this? I have a documentary. Time and again exploring ourselves and the whole world doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> but it's good. It's good that way. Outside of work, what are the domains of life that you feel take up your most time and energy? So you said Sanatana Academy is something that you have. What else is part of your life as far as like just focus and energy consumption? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm also a teaching faculty here in the regional uh, education center. Mm-hmm. So we have something called as the Volkshochschule in Germany. So that is uh, partially a government uh, organization wherein uh, it's all about education and I'm a I'm a teaching faculty there. So uh, Ayurveda, not just as a practice with my patients, but also I do teach. And I also teach yoga and Bharatanatyam. And I've been um, very much involved with uh, many of the classical art forums in Germany, including uh, Aronim Classical Art Forum Germany and uh, various other uh, community events as well. So propagating uh, all these things, promoting uh, art and culture and volunteering myself with various activities. So, and teaching. Teaching comes with huge responsibility, right? So, because um, first of all, yeah, Ayurveda and yoga to keep it authentic and to make people understand because it's totally, it's first of all, to make our own Indians understand some of the basic authentic principles is different. And here in the Western world, so it's, totally uh, either overwhelming or there is some misconception. Mm. So it's a huge prioritized concern and a huge responsibility that we teach in a proper way. So I enjoy teaching. We have that in common. And so let's discuss that in our third section. We'll not take a break since we are flowing well. Uh, Our third section is about the side project. And why I call it the side project? Because like it's an interesting dichotomy that guests automatically form themselves right uh there are people who talk about their main hobby as their side Mm -hmm. project like they're learning guitar or something like that uh something that is a little more structured essentially so for me example this podcast is my side project right nice my my podcast and my blog is my side project uh so some people treat it as a hobby some people treat it as a second job right Mm -hmm. and while you were talking about teaching uh yoga and bharatnatyam and other uh other things so many things you're doing plus you're trying to stay as a part of the art scene the vibe that i got each time was uh, i'm doing so many things and they're all pulling my attention like there was a there was this idea of it all feels like work so to me you come across as somebody who treats their side project as work not as a hobby what is fun to you what does fun mean to you Okay, <laughs> that's a very nice observation. <laughs> I should give you credit here for uh, such keen observation. So uh, dancing is fun for me. I thoroughly enjoy dancing. So recently also I had a few collaborations and uh, dancing is absolutely fun for me. But here it it's changed. This whole scene changed because uh, uh, till I was in India, it was different. I mean, it's... Moving from a country plays a huge role. Actually, probably I didn't take some time to sit back and think about it. But now when I'm actually talking about it, it feels different. To me, it sounded like you want to come back. Yeah, it sounded like... I would definitely come back. (laughs) I would definitely come back. That's not the thing. But um, I used to just dance for fun, go have fun and uh, do some comparing on stage. And that used to be like like my whole world revolved around dancing and the stage and all these things and it used to be fun but now when I look at dance and it's like it's fun for me I really love it and thoroughly enjoy but also it comes with some responsibility okay let me teach because I'm promoting it so if somebody looks at me like okay you're representing your art form I should be at my best so now it's become kind of a serious thing but uh, end of the day it's solace dance is solace Bharatanatyam is fun and responsibility and learning and everything at the same time what is your performer personality like so as somebody what's your relationship to the stage and how how do you find your personality changing when when you're performing so i'll give you some context on this in the sense of i've been uh i've been on stage since the age of four 
in some form or another. So I've done mm-hmm. dance, I've done theater, I've done public speaking. As an adult, I've gravitated more towards public speaking. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. in Toastmasters. I finished their education program twice. I've trained a lot of people. I've competed and so on and so forth. Fantastic. And now like this is the next form of communication, like mass communication essentially that I'm exploring. But like I know that when I go on stage, there is sort of a different personality that comes out. Not necessarily different as in it's a, a completely different person, but more like it's about, you know, 20%. It's like my personality dialed up to 10 or 11, me at my most enthusiastic. What's your relationship like with the stage? Oh, I love being on stage. <laughs> I love being on stage. Uh, with dance and performances, just like you, I uh, went on stage at a very small age. So not just for dance, dance and public speaking. Uh, so I've been um, the MC uh, for many of the uh, international events, including uh, I, I have been the official MC with uh, the Ministry of Ayush and hosting uh, Ayurvedic Congress in India, Global Wellness Meet and other things also with uh, my state government things. And yeah, so being on stage behind mic is something that I've always loved to do, not just performing and theater. So mm-hmm. theater, dance and emceeing. So it's like being on stage, it's, yes. it's, it's a different uh, kind of, it's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's a different world. Like I never understand people who say they have, I mean, I understand stage fright, like it's yeah. never been a problem for me and I imagine it's not a problem for that's you. That's true. I mean, that small sort of, uh, it's not even the nervousness, it's butterfly in the stomach kind of a feeling just before. That's I'm good. Scared. Yeah, that, that's, that's good. That's good. That you exactly. care about it. And I drive my energy from that. Like it's, yeah. that's such a nice feeling. And when one's on stage and it's meditative, I would say. When once all that butterflies are resolved on their own, it's like super good. <laughs> so uh, like why I have this podcast is so I started this uh, interview series along with five other series back in 2016. Like I was blogging. All of these were blogs. Uh, And then for health reasons, I had to put all of that aside. But this was the series I brought back in 2017. And then over four years, I did 100 episodes as blogs. And then as episode 101 onwards, I converted it into a podcast first. And that's still evolving. So you will be episode, I think, 115 or 16 or something like that. Um, this is now my way to practice because, again, pandemic and everything, like, you know, Toastmasters, we shut down. I lost stage time. Everybody, like, I, I don't get the chance as much anymore to go out on stage and, uh-huh. and unless I push myself to now be a part of reopening societies. So instead, this is now my stage. And it's been a very, like, gratifying experience because it gives you that same butterfly stomach, like that butterflies in your stomach feeling, especially mm-hmm. like if I do something more live, you know. So this is pre-recorded. It's at this point I'm like really comfortable talking to somebody, as you can see. Uh, but like I'm I'm trying to recapture that stage experience through this. So oh, this is inspiring. <laughs> this is inspiring because this is something I've been missing a lot because these days. Hardly get to go on stage behind the mic and other things. Theater, so it's totally gone. Oh, I haven't yeah. done anything with theatrical part. So this is inspiring what you're telling. So yeah, that's Inspire- wonderful what you're doing. I'm so happy you use that word because that's a beautiful segue into our fourth section. And we'll start <laughs> that immediately after this break. How's it going? It's going okay. Are you okay? okay. <laughs> yes, it's uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting with the one. This is really nice. Really nice. So uh, we're starting section four with inspiration. And this is a question that I'm going to introduce at the beginning of section four going forward. You're the first person I'm sort of testing it with. Um, this show works on the basis of recommendations. Right? Uh-huh. Like I am, I look for people, everyday people who are doing things that inspire the people around them. So um, you are three degrees of separation from me. I interviewed my therapist Dr. Gargi Chakraborty, uh, Miss Gargi Chakraborty, psychologist. She recommended somebody by the name of Medha Nainagli. Mm-hmm. And after interviewing Medha, I asked her for recommendations and she gave me you and somebody else. Why yes. do you think you inspire Medha? <laughs> Ideologies, principles, and staying... How do you know each other? Uh, through yoga, yoga and Ayurveda. And uh, uh, Medha's husband, is uh, he was my classmate during high school. 
and uh, we know each other since then and uh, later on uh, the way i got to know that uh, both of them they're doing yoga so neatly like staying true to the principles of yoga and very authentically not going by all the do it like a sport kind of a thing it was amazing and uh, uh, we even did a small interview um, i mean uh, i got a chance to uh, speak with them both and uh, what started as a small interview instead of interview we started speaking about a lot of ideas and uh, it matched a lot so rather than uh, inspiration it's mutual admiration that we have i don't, don't like i know like, you have to be modest everybody has to be modest but generally like if she's recommended a stranger to come talk to somebody that's high praise so and, and you are really thankful <laughs> really really thankful to me and you are setting up all my questions for me because you mentioned principles um and sort of you know the matching ideologies mm-hmm. um this, in this section we talk about principles and depending on the age of the guest i mm-hmm. tend to frame the question differently right so you fall i'm assuming roughly in the age bracket of 30 to 50 we'll cast a wide net <laughs> okay so the first one is right <laughs> i'm 30 years old i am 30 years old hey <laughs> you match that so okay so since you've told me that you're fairly young um rather than ask you for advice for people i want to ask again in the form of three principles what are you hoping to continue following for yourself going forward so that it leads to a fulfilling uh, work life balance it leads to a fulfilling sort of uh, impact and life that you build for yourself what are what are three principles you try and follow mm-hmm. staying staying true to yourself mm-hmm. and uh, believing in what you do that is most important and success is not always being the best and winning the race but uh, it is handling the worst of the worst situations gracefully accepting and finishing the race so this is something that uh, my father once told me and that's been there with me always so yes to accept every situation is something uh, is a huge principle for me so to take it and look at everything as it comes but uh, never compromise on what you truly believe in okay so we rushed through that he says staying true to yourself the second mm-hmm. one i couldn't write down the third one was success is accepting failure gracefully and finishing the race uh, remind me of the second one you need to believe in yourself believe in yourself there we go so let's um, break this down sure. what does staying true to yourself mean sometimes yeah i do uh, understand that uh, life comes with lot many compromises adjustments and everything so being true to yourself is not being harsh but to stand for what you really believe in so my first principle and second principle more or less they complement each other and go hand in hand so it's not really different but uh, staying true to yourself is that you need not like one person need not mask anything to achieve bigger things you should mm-hmm. just stay true so i the same that- thing, let me I just tell that. one thing that i believe yeah, in the yeah. same sun that hardens clay melts ice so it need not be the same thing so staying true is what matters the most and that's most imp- that's really important for me i think where people struggle with staying true to themselves and where i used to st- thankfully I, i feel like i stay pretty true to myself like just <laughs> nice. in the form of uh, a, a certain freedom that i feel and a certain gratitude that i feel towards my own mm-hmm. life i find that i feel like a lot of people struggle with staying true to themselves because they are unable or unwilling or they've never been encouraged to mm-hmm. find what they believe in right self discovery becomes um a challenge for a lot of people and mm-hmm. often like you know often the advice that you get in that direction is is very um demonstrative like it's very it's it it is not very substantial in the sense of right. you know just try and what do you like just do that there is a certain amount of privilege that comes with right like do you have the financial means to do it what else is what are the responsibilities you have who are you taking care of in your life you know who's your family unit and all of that how has your this uh, journey towards self discovery been um 
and like what do you find again you're young now so like i'm completely resettling my um view of you because hey you're my age man you're my peer only <laughs> <laughs> i was treating you like a you know like this respected senior person i'm getting <laughs> advice man you know she's as young as me only she's as stupid <laughs> as me only <laughs> Yeah, still as exploring as you are exploring. So, but the fact that you are able to do so many things when you, you know you're young, we, we, so we are just stepping into, uh, I feel like proper adult, like middle age adult life, right? Yes. And uh, how how was your thirtieth birthday? Did you have those like artificial? Oh, that was <laughs> I was super busy. <laughs> My thirtieth birthday it was super busy. Eleven uh, June, <laughs> so. Eleventh June is my birthday on government documents. Oh, okay, okay. Now this is getting more closer. My actual well, birthday is eleventh May, so I am a month older than you. Treat me like a okay. Senior. When I was uh, in my kindergartens, that's when there was a confusion, and my birthday was put to be eleventh May for a few. Yes, and then they just made it proper and brought back so, to June. So then. your paperwork was eleventh May, but your real birthday was eleventh June, and you got it fixed. Yes. And my <laughs> real birthday is May eleventh, and my paperwork says June eleventh. And I never, I was stupid, and I listened to my dad, and he said, "Yeah, let's just officialize June eleventh." So. <laughs> <laughs> nice, this is nice. What a coincidence! <laughs> exactly. So on my thirtieth birthday, actually in June. Uh, Prime Minister Rashi Narendra Modi ji had visited Munich, mm. and uh, I was fortunate uh, to be the uh, coordinator of the cultural activities involving 156 artists in Germany. Mm. So on my 30th birthday, I was really, really busy with coordinating this work, and also a lot of uh, uh, like rehearsals and auditions and many things with this and. Yeah, I was totally busy that day <laughs> until uh, the end of my birthday when uh, my friends uh, realized it was my birthday. A few of the musicians and uh, my husband came from uh, his cricket practice, and all of them suddenly with all the cupcakes available in the nearest, and it was a holiday. So with all the cupcakes available, so it was fun celebration, sudden celebration. So yeah, memorable <laughs> that way. <laughs> I was actually honestly speaking about my birthday even today with my parents. Oh come on, thirtieth. Usually people celebrate like that, and I was so busy that day. So I was just scribbling, but it's actually it was nice. End of the day, it was nice. Don't worry, my mine was you do about, about the same. Like I I gave a training session and I played Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. That's what I did. <laughs> Adulting. <laughs> Um, and I was scribbling like uh, Joey from Friends. I was like, "Why God? Why?" So that happened for a week, and then <laughs> you had those uh, things. Like the, so a thirty is an artificial deadline for a lot of people, right? You need to be married and settled and this and that and blah 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 by the age of thirty. Did you have any of those apprehensions coming up to that age? Or well, I had no apprehensions, but um, I honestly I didn't have anything. Till just one week to my thirtieth birthday, then I was like, "Oh God, really? Exactly Am I the same thing." What's happening? <laughs> so, like I have, I had done my best for six, seven months coming up to my thirty birthday. Yeah, I'm like super chill. I'm really looking forward to my thirties, which is true. I am actually really looking forward to my thirties. But the one week before, I'm like, oh god, I'm turning thirty. I'm turning thirty. <laughs> why, God? Why done? Done with twenty? Nothing. Done with like no more in twenties anymore. That young doctor gone. So now I'm in thirties. So. <laughs> yeah. Has, has, that was a struggle period. <laughs> have you started having uh, phantom aches and pains and joint and all that? Because I'm having it already. Yeah, adulting. <laughs> like it's it's nice in the sense of it doesn't feel very different, and yet it feels different altogether. That's true. That's true. I'm like, come on, it's not even complete thirty one whole year. It's just been a few months, but. Already pains. Already, am I really growing old? I know, right? Like it is like your metabolism just takes like a punch in the stomach. That's true. And sometimes you look at your own, like not interested in many uh, things, or it's like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so, I don't know. Then I feel like, okay, thirty to ho gaya. Yeah, now I'm old. But the other moment, I'm like, no, come on, it's not very different. <laughs> so. I, I want to ask you, how comfortable are you talking about mental health? I'm 
comfortable talking about it. Let's talk about it. What's uh, how's your mental health? Do you have any experience with mental illnesses? Um, and give us a little more insight as to uh, just your whole approach to mental health. Mm-hmm. Mental health is really really important, and uh, ups and downs and fluctuation in mental health is something that every person undergoes, and I'm no exception. Mm-hmm. So especially with uh, a lot of changes professionally, personally, and everything, and change in country, change in work and everything. So to handle many situations, it's not the same. And uh, yes, I did have a certain period in my life wherein I was at my total low, trying to pick myself up, making wrong decisions. And uh, yeah, uh, that's when probably just the answer that I gave you, the three principles, probably those things really helped me there. And uh, right now when I look back, Mostly, I might not have handled uh, things very neatly or maybe if I was in my mental health, the best of my health, probably I would have handled many things differently. It is not that I have a lot many regrets uh, or it's not like, yeah, I've made mistakes. I've apologized for that and uh, try to make amends, still trying to make amends. So mental health is something really, really important and uh, have faced have, have faced uh, many lows there and some happy situations trying to just pull myself crawl out of that dark tunnel so it's been there did you ever get medical help for it medical uh, help as in um, since okay. i yes yes as in um, uh, since i uh, was doing my own research and on mental health and how to deal with it and other things so reading uh, through many things it really helped me and some of the practices and uh, to just whatever I was listening to from my mentors just applying it on my own self it really helped me and I should say uh, I just got fortunate there so the struggle is still real some days it's really frustrating and some days it's really I wouldn't be in a position to pull myself out so but uh, I'm in a better Okay. <laughs> Those are my dailies. So I uh, have something that my doctor calls a recurrent depressive disorder. So he said, uh, basically, I've had three or four acute phases of uh, deep depression. Just came out of one. We are now on the tapering end of medicine. So last mm-hmm. November was when I had like a sudden, uh, very difficult like breakdown and I had to restart medicine. This is the third time I've been on medicine in my life. Uh, so I've been taking medicine for over a year. And now we've been tapering for the last uh, four or five months. Since September onwards, I started feeling like better. So yeah, like... I mean, it's it's really nice that you're vocal about it. And that's the first phase of healing. That's why I like to talk about it. So as you can tell, right, I'm I'm I've become fairly shameless in who I am. And Mm -hmm. I talk about what is important to me and all the taboos and lessons that I learned when I was younger, I've learned are are bullshit. So like I'm super, I talk about mental health on purpose as much as I can. I write blogs about it just because uh, I actually, I wrote this as a Facebook status one day and I have a screenshot of it. The discussion around mental health in the public sphere is limited to the fact that uh, limited to platitudes that we should talk about mental health. The only thing people say is we should talk about it, but we never talk about it. So I said, I'm going to change that. And I've been talking about it since. And now it's good to see that there are other people like other organizations and therapeutic, like even just, you know, people who are contributing to Instagram regularly with good therapeutic advice. Right. I am a huge believer in all of these. So again, like, like you mentioned, holistic practice, like medicine is important, but also Mm -hmm. physical health is important. Also, like your relationship with yourself and your uh, how you, you know, your guilt triggers and uh, how you sort of accept and forgive yourself, like you said. Right. Also, what you surround yourself with. So I, I had a huge improvement to my mental health. Back when I was still using Facebook, I unfollowed a lot of destructive meme channels, like mm-hmm. channels that were, you know, just posting rude or mean or memes that are making fun of people. I unfollowed a bunch of those. And I followed a bun- bunch of people who were doing wholesome memes and, you know, mm-hmm. positive memes about mental health. And just because you're going through the feed so often, like mm-hmm. having that passive bombardment of positive material, 
made such a huge difference. So thank you, by the way, you are contributing to that uh, by being part of this podcast. Right. So um, we will end this. Yeah, sorry. We'll end this session with you simply just talking about why it's really important and Mm -hmm. uh, any thoughts you may have that you want the listener to listen to about mental health. Uh, Speaking of like, from my personal experience, mental health can be disturbed due to many reasons. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we know, actively know the reason. Sometimes it's so passive that we won't be in a position to even uh, actually realize what is happening. So Mm -hmm. in my case, I had some of the physical uh, health that was lost due to some accidents and some surgeries and other stuff, which really put me into, I, I wasn't in a, a situation to cope up and uh, not just that, many other things. It It's just life. And during life, we come across so many situations. So if one small thing, if may I share with all the uh, listeners who are listening to this, if you are going through a phase wherein you are feeling totally lost and don't know what to do next, just hang in there. Just hang in there. It's going to get better. This too shall pass. So it's not going to be stagnant. That shall pass. And please seek out for help. There is no shame in seeking out for help. So seek out for help. I hate that. Why do you say that? Why do people say there is no shame in asking for help? Why why are we talking about shame? There is no shame. There is no shame. Yeah, you are stronger for seeking out help. You are more responsible for seeking out help. There is all the pride in seeking out help, not no shame. There is more pride. Right. And only only when you do that, then you know if somebody is actually suffering, you will be in a better position to help them out as well. So, yes, that's very important. And on that note, we'll come to the end of our podcast with the last section, uh, which will go straight into no break. Um, This is the recommendation section. So, um, please... Tell us about your practice. Please advertise yourself here. Uh, tell us about Sanatma Academy and where we can follow you. Uh, mm-hmm. All the links that you mentioned, by the way, I'll take from you later and put it in the description. So if you're listening to this, please check out the description for uh, Dr. Anusha's links and recommendations. Please go follow her and her academy. Um, yes, please go ahead and recommend. And then also recommend any anything else you want to say as a final message. To- okay. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Sanatana Academy... It's Munich-based uh, as an institute, but uh, I also uh, teach Ayurveda. It's my main, main goal to propagate Ayurveda and its pure, true essence. So it's not just uh, some science or it's not just some herbal or um, uh, science that of home remedies, but it's a very true, practical, rational science that is going to stay, that has been with mankind since times immemorial and that is going to stay. So through Sanatana Academy, I intend to propagate Ayurveda and classical Indian dance and yoga in its truest form to whatever extent I know. And I have received from my gurus. I would definitely love to just pass it on to whoever would like to learn that. So Sanatana Academy is based in Munich, but uh, also I've been offering a lot many online uh, uh, consultations and workshops and other things so uh, anybody feel free to reach website instagram tell me <laughs> yeah instagram my instagram handle is uh, sanatana academy so but academy with german spelling aka d-e-m-i-e s-a-n-a-t-a-n-a sanatana underscore academy mm-hmm. and uh, website is sanatanaacademy.com and uh, yeah, uh, I've been active on Facebook as well with the same uh, handle. So I have a page, Sanatana Academy, and there is a closed group wherein uh, people are most welcome to just post their concerns and uh, any help they need uh, with regard to Ayurveda, yoga, dance, or pain management. If they're uh, in their journey towards healing, maybe after some traumatic uh, experience or post-surgery, most welcome and uh, I'm really uh, like I would try to help my best and if you've related to anything Dr. Anusha shared with us in this podcast please 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 do check out her links Uh, see if uh, what she's doing because she's doing a lot of inspiring things see if that's for you see if it helps you or whether you can contribute to it and connect with her Um, Dr. Anusha thank you so much 
for sitting down with me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's my pleasure as well. And um, uh, yeah, uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you. And uh, it was a nice experience just to share without any inhibitions Inhibition. and just talk out. <laughs> so it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, Thank you so much for having we're, me. We're at the end of the show, right? Now we're in post-show. So uh, <laughs> how is this? How is this exp- I know we're still recording, but uh, how has this experience uh, been for you being interviewed in the uh, the questions are really interesting because uh, some of the questions I actually hadn't sat back and thought about it. So the moment you ask, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, okay, it's there. Like the major shift in life and changes probably I hadn't reflected upon, though I'll be screaming and shouting my lungs out, telling that, yeah, it's like this and like that and all these things. But the way I have handled probably I never sat back and gave a thought well, about it. I'm so glad I could facilitate the reflection for you. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> And because you've clearly had an amazing experience, uh, this show works on the basis of recommendations. So I will need your recommendations for our next guest somewhere down the line. Please stay tuned for more Everyday People weekly, Tuesdays at 10. And that's the interview. Did you enjoy it? Please let Dr. Arusha know by going and following her Instagram page, Sanatana underscore Academy and interact with her there. She's doing some good work. Now, on to the mailbag. Today, I'm answering just one stock question uh, that I collected from Abhilash, episode 101, a friend of mine. He's been reading to his son a lot recently. And the question he gave me was, what, if any, is the impact and importance of literary fiction on designing one's life? Fantastic question. To me as a writer, I feel like the importance of literary fiction is paramount because I look at that as input, basic input. You need to sort of in life explore and meet new cultures to get rid of some of the biases and conservatisms that uh, we have when we stick to a single community. And it, it is really enriching and freeing to explore the world, travel, meet other types of people and realize that a lot of the rules that you grew up with are made up. Now, not everybody gets the opportunity to travel, but reading is a fantastic way to travel. Like reading is a way to experience different cultures. So if you're reading nonfiction, you are getting accounts from people all across the world and learning about the different cultures. Where fiction comes in is going beyond the realm of what exists, going beyond the mundane and going into fantasy. What if something could exist. Now, I'm a D&D player. I'm a D- uh, dungeon master. I write a little bit of fiction. I've explored so many different worlds just by reading. I- I'm a fan of Critical Role, which is a D&D show, and they have their own world called Alexandria, and so on and so forth. It's it's fascinating to see how people, writers and authors and creators, they they put in their hopes and dreams and what they feel are good principles into the world that they're designing, right? For example, Alexandria is a world where racism is very rare. What does that look like? What are the struggles in such a world? How do people interact? And what could life really be? All of that input comes from engaging with reading literary fiction. And so I would say literary fiction is paramount in designing your own life because it is one of the easiest and most comprehensive ways for you to explore different cultures and get more information that helps you counteract conservative biases and uh, outdated principles that you may have grown up with or may not have grown up with, but still. It's important for you to explore and reading is a fantastic way to do that. Thank you so much, Abhilash, for that question. And if you have a question for other mailbag, there is a link in the description, the first link in the description for you to fill out a Google form. Thank you so much for leaving your questions for the show and helping the show be what it is. Now on to Letters to Myself. Letters to Myself, week of 4th December 2022. Hello, Weber. I've been unwell. I don't know if it's an illness or if it's just fatigue. I find myself coasting through days, working or playing or creating, without much attachment to any of it. On one hand, that's good. Dispassion is a friend of consistency. 
and to have been able to be consistent up to a reasonable standard, not my insane one, has filled me with some joy and some pride in myself. This is what I've wanted for all of this year. On the other hand, this passion is not a lifestyle I want to live. I want to enjoy everything I'm doing. And that's really hard if I'm doing a lot. Finding true balance still remains an unachieved goal. I wonder what balance is. Because it sounds really boring. I'm going to sleep a lot this week. Because sometimes sleep is the best reset. Remember that. As much as possible, sleep. Recover. From there, you will find a foundation to not just chase achievements, but to actually enjoy them. Zombie walking through time, web of.